The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. These are words. These are actually these are just basic words that are used frequently. I, I'm glad I stopped using Facebook when I stopped using Facebook. Download Adam Sank's last comedy album on Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play. We're already in the shower together. <laughs> the risk has been taken. If I don't blow you, the risk will have been for nothing. Warning. The program you're about to hear contains highly offensive and indecent material. Ryan, pull down your pants. <laughs> JB, you start sucking. The host, a comedian of questionable talent, speaks incessantly on topics of a sexual and scatological nature. I will fuck you, but I will not eat you. I want that fucking dick down my throat while I'm dicking him down. I okay. hope my mother's listening. Your ass became a rosebud? Yeah, that's because I got dicked down real good. <laughs> he asks questions of his celebrity guests that are highly inappropriate and rude. Which of you has a bigger penis? Oh, that's a good one. That's a fun, good one. Going down on the clitoris. Oh, yes. Oh, I Absolutely. like where you're going with yep. this. For some reason, the word strap-on just comes right out of my mouth, Bianca. Yeah, you said come and strap-on at the same time. And he cannot stop talking about his buttocks. I think your butt is telling you, no mas, por favor. <laughs> this is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm going to suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. <laughs> and now... The one, the only... My mic's off. Hello? Hello? Is my mic on now? Yeah, hello. Welcome. Love starting the show that way. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are live if you're listening at 11 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, May 14th, 2019 at dnrstudios.com. If you are, call in and talk to us at 844-825-5367. Leave your ratings and reviews on iTunes or wherever else you listen to this podcast. Email me, me, at adam at adamsank.com. Like the Facebook page. Donate to my AIDS Walk page, which is linked at adamsank.com slash podcast. And for God's sake, download my second and final comedy album already. It's entitled Adam Sank's Last Comedy Album, available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. We uh, are not only live today, but we have a very special guest, the legendary, the legendary Frank DeCaro, author of Drag, Coming Through the Big Wigs of Show Business. This is his brand new... I call it an encyclopedia. It is really an encyclopedia of drag. I've never seen any book on drag that is this uh, comprehensive, and it's filled with wonderful photos, and it's just, uh, it's, I'm really proud of him. So we're going to be talking to him in just a little while. But first, I have to introduce today's co-host, and he is an ass virgin, ladies and gentlemen. He is, he's the first time he's ever co-hosted. I don't think he's ever even listened to this show. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, you're not supposed to speak yet. A friend of our, a friend of mine, fellow member of the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, playwright, actor, comedian, all around bon vivant. Please welcome Sean Peter Drohan. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I'm Sean, so excited to be here. Welcome. 
Uh, are you excited? Are you nervous? You seem kind of shell-shocked. No, I'm very excited. I'm obviously, I'm a little bit nervous. I hope I have something to say. I'm sure you have many things to say. And if you don't, um, I have plenty to say. Great. So that'll be fine. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Tell the listeners uh, who you are, uh, you know, what your kinks are, everything they need to know about you. Great. Uh, so my name is Sean. Uh, I grew. I was actually born here in New York, but I grew up in Orlando, Florida, which is kind of the I think the beginning of understanding me is knowing that it all comes from Orlando, Florida. The worst place on earth. I challenge no offense that, to anyone who lives there. I challenge that supremely. Oh, I think that Orlando is kind of this bizarre melting pot of like flavors nobody ever intended to put together, but it's like old New Yorkers and rednecks, and it's just kind of this uh, flavor no one ever expected. Mm. But so I'm from Florida, and- I think it tastes like um, sweat. Yeah, and, but that can be delicious sometimes. And, and marshmallow peeps. Yeah. When I think of Orlando, those are the two flavors. That... I would just add just a little bit of, a little bit of pepper in there, you know? <laughs> just a little pepper. Just a little meth. And you recently were spent some time in China, and I don't understand why. Yeah, so I uh, work in China. I've worked in China for the past five years. I do education consulting, which has been fairly in the news because of some bad practices mm. that were employed by people like Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin. But that is what I do, and I do it particularly with families in China. I work with them on helping them get their children into the universities that they want. Wow. Oh, so that is like a Felicity Huffman thing. Yeah, ex just that without the fraud. Yeah, well, one one hopes. Now, how is your Chinese? My Chinese is pretty bad. It's enough to like get around and like live my life, but I would never like do business in Chinese. Can you say like, I'm excited to be on the Adam Sank show? No. <laughs> I don't know the word for show, and I guess- Well, I could you could say, say like, Adam Sank show for that part. Uh, you could use say. <laughs> what? No, I, there, I mean, like, I don't, there's no way to like transliterate it. Really, all I can say in I think it's Mandarin is Sean Dong Kuai Lu. Yeah, that's uh, a happy uh, kind of Happy New Year. I think is what. Merry you're... Christmas is what I was told. But yes, yeah, close well, that, enough. That's Sheng Dan Jie Kuai Lu. Oh, very good, Sean. I'm impressed. Um, and you have an unhealthy and, and mysterious obsession with Taylor Swift. I would not call it unhealthy or mysterious at all. We all have religions, and I have chosen mine. Yeah, I mean, Sean makes these, like, really long, intense Facebook Live videos where he just, like, analyzes Taylor Swift the way Hasidic Jews study the Torah. Yeah, I, that's kind of how I live my life in the sense of, I, I, when I started making those videos, I didn't realize that they were each going to be, like, half an hour long. But I would just kind of make notes on the song, and by the time I got to the end, it was at least 20 minutes on all of them. And is she your favorite, like, of all the pop stars, all the divas? Like, is she your number one? Um, I mean, I keep a pretty broad awareness of the pop scene. I would say that she is the one who demands a lot of my critical attention. Uh, hmm. My background is in writing and in particularly criticism and analysis, and her work uh, kind of in a very, her work as a storyteller is really quite exceptional. Um, I would put it on par with the other person that I talk about a lot is Lana Del Rey, who is kind of at the level of the word and at the level of poetry, kind of doing something that no one else is doing. See, because I'm never sure if you're punking us. Like, part, someday I feel like you're going to be like, psych, I hate Taylor Swift, this was all a joke. But you're actually sincere about your... I'm deeply sincere about everything right. that I do. It's Good. my secret. Well, I think she's a basic bitch. Okay. Shade. Um, okay, so, but, but, but I recognize that we all have, you know, very strong opinions and feelings and passions. I, I love Madonna. 
Yeah. Uh, probably more, more than any other diva. And a lot of people hate her. So I get it. Sean, we're going to jump right in on okay. so many stories that came out in just the last couple of days. This one came out yesterday. Uh, a listener actually tweeted it at me. And I love when listeners do that because it makes my job easier. Um, but then it was all over the news. So I would have seen it anyway. A landmark study of nearly 1,000 gay male couples in serodiscordant relationships. You know what that means, right? I do. One's pause, one's neg. Um, in these 1,000 couples where they were having unprotected sex, all of them were just barebacking up a storm. Not one infected the other. Not one. And this is a longitudinal study. They studied them for, I think, like seven or eight years. And in every case, the one who was paused was taking his meds uh, as prescribed, his, his uh, antiretroviral therapy. You can call it the drug cocktail. It's got many different names. The actual name is, is um, ART or HART, highly aggressive antiretroviral therapy. Um, basically, it, it, the, the pause guy takes his pills every day like he's supposed to. He doesn't inf infect the negative guy, regardless of whether the negative guy is on prep and with no condoms. Now, one caveat in the study is that 15 of the negative guys did test positive, but not from their partners. Oh, my God. In other words, they, <laughs> it's not funny, but they were out hoeing around or, or they were in open relationships yeah. more likely. And No, it is kind of funny because you signed up for this test. Again, this is a seven to eight year test that they're studying for your life. You decide to be a hoe and galvet and cheat. So they, well, they, but again, JP, it cheat. may not necessarily be cheating. They might, they might have, he and his boyfriend or husband may have been having wild orgies. The fact is, at somewhere along the line, he had sex with someone who was paused, who was not taking his meds. Also, and they know that because they can actually study the, the genotype of the virus and say like, oh, you didn't get this, you didn't get your husband's virus, you got some other virus. I, I also just pointing out that 15 out of 500 over eight years is like a 3%. Out of 1,000, Sean. But it, they were couples. Oh, yes, you're right. Um, and so that's, that 3% infection rate is well below what the expected would be. So even under... It's 1,000 gay male couples. So oh, okay. it's 2,000 so people, people. So yeah, 15 so 1. of them. percent over eight years mm -hmm. uh, is well It's below. pretty incredible. Yeah. And so the, the, the takeaway here is this. If you're negative, you know, get tested regularly, know your status, go on prep. If you're pause, taking your meds to the point that, uh, as you should, so that you're undetectable the way that I do, is being in untransmittable. You, you are not contagious. You cannot pass along this virus. And that's why it is so important that, especially if you're in a relationship or just if you're sexually active and you're a pause person, it behooves you to, to take your meds. It behooves the negative person to protect himself, go on prep, use condoms, know your partner status, all of those good things. We have a responsibility in this, too. Uh, when I tested positive, uh, you know, 13 years ago, I made a decision that no one was ever going to get this from me, ever. And the way that I can do that is I can, every six months, get my blood levels checked, make sure that my virus is still undetectable, and continue to take the meds that my doctor prescribes me. Um, and, you know, immediately I had people shitting all over this on my Facebook page. Yeah, they didn't ask how many STDs they got and they didn't think about what's going to happen in 10 years when the virus mutates. And it's like, fuck you. Like, this is amazing news. This needs to be celebrated. Is it perfect? Is medical science ever perfect? No. But come on. Think about where we were 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago with this virus where it was automatic death sentence. Yeah, absolutely. And uh 
in addition to everything that you're saying, I think that it, for me, speaks to the fact that we need to make treatments more available to people. Because oh, yeah. there's obviously, I mean, you can look at the data, there's tremendous discrepancies in terms of who has access to treatment, who is able to follow up with treatment, um, and it's creating kind of chasms in the uh, distribution of who is becoming infected and who is uh, being successfully treated. And st uh, studies like these should really prompt local, state, and national governments across the world, really, to take on what is just clearly the most effective prevention strategy, which Absolutely. is treatment. 100%. So that's, I just wanted to lead with that because I think it's important and we talk about it all the time on this show. Um, in other news, Jussie Smollett has been dropped from Empire. I have said, this is my favorite show. Is it? It real, genuinely is. Or maybe he hasn't been. There's some controversy over this. In a statement released yesterday, uh, actually it was about three days ago, Fox announced, quote, there are no plans for the character of Jamal to return to Empire. However, they added, by mutual agreement, the studio has negotiated an extension to Jussie Smollett's option for season six, which means he could always make a surprise return. So a friend of mine who works in TV says they picked up his option. They actually didn't fire him. Um, but at the same time, they released this statement saying, like, don't expect to see him on the show. So it's a little bit like they're playing both sides and they're trying to um, give themselves an option to bring him back. If it turns out somehow that, like, he's totally telling the truth and he really didn't know that these two guys roughing him up were his friend's. Uh, from Nigeria who, you know, he had paid. It, it, the whole thing is so bonkers, but, um, but you know, the cast and crew of Empire has been pushing for him to return and, and, and standing up for him, but Lee Daniels is kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel bad for Taraji P. Henson. She is the best actress of her generation. I'm here to declare it. She's amazing. She's absolutely incredible on that show. She takes lines and, like, scenes that really just feel like like bad minstrelsy sometimes and she turns it she elevates into, it yeah she elevates it in this incredible way um so i just want to give her a quick shout out if you're listening call in taraji is a huge fan of the adam sank show so i hope so i hope so um i watched the first season and i fell in love with it this happens to me with a lot of shows. And then I started the second season, and I found myself no longer caring. Yeah, the second season actually has quite a lull in the beginning, and it really picks back up. I got to say, if you ever feel like diving back into it. I am actually a season behind, so I could theoretically uh, feel that way about the, pre the last season. But I tend to watch things after the season finishes. I have breaking news. I just built coffee on my white pants. Oh, no. I literally cannot wear white, ever. All right. Uh, on that note, we're going to turn to somebody who almost never spills food on his uh, clothing. Since this is a live show, we've decided to get yet another one of our uh, recaps from our RuPaul's Drag Race correspondent, Ryan Frostig. And he joins us now live from somewhere on the streets of Manhattan. Hey, Ryan. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Where are you Hi, right now? Adam. I'm, I'm actually waiting for the elevator right outside of your apartment. Uh, see, when I'm not home, Ryan uses my apartment like it's his. Yeah, it's a thing. My second. You know that when you get on that elevator, we're not gonna be able to hear you. You're, you're gonna sound all garbled. Okay, well, hang so tight. take the stairs. Take the stairs the and don't be such a lazy cunt. Um, Ryan, tell us about the latest episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Shantae, you stay. Oh, thank you, Jamie. Tell us about the latest oh, episode, also, which I thought was kind of want want, not that exciting. Well, first of all, I just want to say hello to Sean Peter Drohan. Hey, Welcome Ryan. back. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Um, 
so yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I watched it a couple times. And at first I was, when I, uh, when I saw the magic show, the Draga Cadabra or whatever, at first I was like, okay, you know, what will they think of next? But actually, this is something that I think is really useful for drag queens because like, you know, in entertainment, it's always like, or at least like when I was in school for, you know, musical theater, it was like, what are your special skills? Like, what else can you do? And like, like on your resume, you know, that says um, blowjobs, eating ass, eating pizza and sleeping. <laughs> that, those, those are, are your spe- special skills. Those are your best skills. That's all I got. Um, but I think that because drag is so competitive and everyone is up in drag these days, you kind of need to have, well, first of all, you need to be able to produce a show. You need to be able to um, write a show, produce a show, have some sort of banter when you do a show. So that's useful. But also, like, you know, if you're a drag queen, if you're a drag queen that plays the violin, like Sorgi Thor, you're, if someone's going to be looking for a drag queen that plays the violin, she's the first one that they're going to go to. So if you're a drag queen and you know some magic tricks, you can make a whole show about that. And like, right. that's actually something that could be in Vegas. Anyway, so two teams. Um, the first team is Nina Brooke and Suga, which I think is a pretty solid team in terms of like putting on a show. They're, they're all pretty uh, great entertainers. Although they, have... they set the viewers up to believe that that was going to be the weak team. Yes, it's what we call a, a misdirect. Misdirect. They, yes, they think that you, they set you up in the editing that it's going to be that they're going to be the weak one, but they end up being on top. The other team is the team with quote unquote the personality, uh, and it's it's Silky, Vanji, uh, Akira, and Evie, and they're basically just like we're just going to improv, we're just going to wing it, which is usually a recipe for disaster. It's always a recipe kind of like, for disaster. I, tweet, yeah, I tweeted like, about this. Anyone who works in any form of show business, if you think that you can just go on stage with no plan and wing it, I don't care how brilliant you are, how talented you are. You, you deserve to fail. You're deluded. That's not yeah. – it, it is a – it is show business. You have to work. Right. Um, and it's also like – it's one thing if you're doing improv, but if you're just – if you're like, uh, you know, trying to um, – command an audience and kind of keep them engaged. If Especially you're, with a you magic show. Them, yeah. So anyway, we see them. The, the, the shows happen. It's very clear that the first show, uh, Nina, Brooke, and Suga, is um, the stronger one. I thought Nina killed it. She's such an amazing entertainer. I and mean, she's got experience, you know, and so does, so does Brooklyn. So I thought that team was really strong. The following team was... A disaster. Black magic. Black magic. Black magic. It's like, okay, we need to, we need to tone it back and tone it down. Yeah, they said it like um, a thousand I times. Thought, I actually thought that Evie, even though I am such a huge Evie fan, uh, I thought she was probably one of the worst. I didn't feel like she brought anything. Um, and, uh, you know, the other girls, like Silky had the most personality, so she was obviously the strongest one. Akira was kind of getting something in there, but it wasn't, uh, it was definitely a mess. So just to skip so ahead, then, so it comes down yeah. to uh, Vanji versus Sugarcane Sugar. for, the, for the Lip Sync for Your Life. And, right, and both of them have not yet won uh, Maxi Challenges. So they're both sort of tied there. They both ha- have had to lip sync before. 
So it's a pretty even playing field. Um, I actually thought that not only did Vanjie uh, win the lip sync for me, which she ended up winning, but there was this moment that I wanted to talk about, and I, I, I texted this to you, where I don't know if she did this intentionally, but I think she there's did. a lyric. Yeah, there's, there's a lyric in the song that's like, um, I don't know where the story ends, but I know where the story begins or something like that. And on the lyric, I know where the story begins, she points to the back of the stage. And I got chills. Like, I thought that was really powerful. Right. In other like, words, it, it began with her, her exit from season one going, Miss Vanjie. Right. That was what she was known for. That was her career. That was like, that was everything for her. And now she's back and she's, she's struggling. And I think that what I'm really enjoying about seeing Vanjie and the reason that I'm glad that she stayed over Sugar, not that, you know, Sugar did a great job. Um, she didn't break through for me, but she, she was mostly consistent. She had some, some good moments. But Vanjie is like, to me, like a Shangela, like an Alyssa Edwards, where she just has that thing that you can't teach someone yeah, and it's it's raw it's raw charisma it's raw talent, and and she also on top of just being hilarious and all of those things, she has heart. You know, like I I saw the vulnerability come through, and I know that that's something that's important to Rue. So um, I was really happy that she stayed. Um, the fandom is not having this. Sugar was robbed. Sugar was robbed. Sugar no, she wasn't. The lip sync. She it was it was her time to go and. And I would agree with RuPaul that, like, if it's between those two girls, I want to keep the girl that's proven themselves to be a star already. Like, she has a career, like, before she even came back. So I think, I think Ru sees that, that Vanjie's the one we need to push Absolutely. Ryan, Ryan, we have, like, 20 seconds left for this segment. Just say something yeah. about the magician that they brought in to, uh, to tutor oh the girls. God honestly it's like they pulled someone off the street like they were literally like someone canceled last minute and they were like let's get this straight guy i'm pretty sure he's shade and 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 yeah it was like he's this they oh they, they build him as a top magician and i don't know about you know his career but i would definitely not want him to top me he was the least entertaining magician I've ever seen. And also, I think he was a straight guy who was uncomfortable with gay men and drag queens. Yeah, it was such a random, like, and I was, I was saying to you, like, it's not that every person needs to be gay who's on RuPaul's Drag Race, but I think it's an important platform for queer people. And if I'm sure there are many gay magicians are in L.A. Every, gay, every magician oh, wow. in L.A. is gay. You can't, you can't swing <laughs> a dick in LA without hitting a gay magician. I just don't understand why they chose him. But Ryan, we got to run. Thank you so much for your root cap. Okay. I hope you make yeah, a lot of money on the street today. I will. It's going to be a good day. I'm going to make a, I'm going to get a lot of dick. <laughs> All right. There goes our All RuPaul's right. Drag Race correspondent, Ryan Frostig. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Where's the applause? Okay. We're going to skip to this next story, Sean, because this just is this broke in the last 24 hours, and it continues to break, and it's very, very strange. Have you been following Chris Crocker and what's going on with him? Not in the past 24 hours. You know who Chris Crocker is, right? Of course, yeah. Uh, for listeners who may not be familiar with the name, that was the Leave Britney Alone. And you so much more. YouTube, well, that was his original uh, claim to fame. He then became hot and started doing porn, and it turned out that he had a huge dick, um, and, you know, makes... He's just constantly on social media making these really insane videos 
he's kind of fascinating. I've I've actually tried to get him on this show several times. So I just want to point out that before Leave Britney Alone, there was a wealth of comedy videos that he did that I, in like 2004, was completely obsessed with. And I actually thought Leave Britney Alone was his like, was, was you know, his call me maybe in the sense of it got too big and it kind of overwhelmed his greater body of work. Well, there you have it from Sean Peter Drohan. I should have known that you were an early uh, Crocker fan. Yeah. Anyway, Chris Crocker, so, you know, his persona is kind of outrageous. You never know what he'll do or say next. And there's there's been some discussion over the years about him possibly having substance abuse issues. He's talked about it. Um, and yet, you know, he was still drinking on video and so forth. Well, in an extremely bizarre tweet on Thursday, someone claiming to be a member of his team posted a really strange announcement on Chris's Twitter feed. Um, I'm going to read it to you verbatim. Oh, God. And keep in mind, it is grammatically nonsensical. Chris Crocker has turned Instagram into many things, from skits and comedy into expressing his love, his eating disorder, his coke addiction, his addiction to coke and sexual role play while high on drugs. Chris is currently checking into a rehab. Anyone during this time willing to capitalize or build a name off his addiction, a sick individual who has admitted to submitting to race play while high off cocaine or serious drugs, which the media will use against his advantage ultimately, and has continually blackmailed him in many consensual and sexual situations with Chris's webcam clients, Chris has always stood for equally, not equality, equally. Even if he enjoyed sexual kinks such as race play while high and drunk, he has always made sure it was mutual. All of us on his team will block anyone we feel is an opportunist during his stay at mental health facility provided. Oh, my God. By the way, this is a Cocktails and Cock Talk story. Uh, and Cocktails and Cock Talk writes, why it got to be blackmail? <laughs> uh Best headline ever. <laughs> so you know what race play is, yeah, Sean, JB. Um, this is uh, a form of role play um, involving people of different races or perhaps the same race where, uh, you know, sexual um, racial epithets are used in sexual ways, consensually. Wait, I have a crazy story. Can, can I? Yeah, quickly, please. There? Um, so I was once found myself in a very expensive apartment <clears throat> on the Upper East Side with a man who was older than me. And what a things, surprise! That you know, things had started to commence when kind of one thing led to another, and somehow it came out that he was like, like a wealthy Trump type person. Ugh. And then as things started to get a little bit further, kind of push was not coming to shove, and it had come out that he was. Uh, um, that he had done meth earlier in the day, which he didn't seem affected at all, but it, you know, it leads to erectile. Oh my God, health. he had coke dick, didn't he? Yeah, well, meth <sighs> dick. Um, anyway, so now I'm in a room with like a wealthy Trump supporting meth using guy, and I'm like, and my mind is like, okay, how can I ruin someone's life? So I'm like looking around for mail, like, I'm like, how can I kind of like turn this into, right. you know, my own little Stormy Daniels moment? Quick get rich schemes. I, I, I love it. Well, I don't even want to get rich. You just I just want to expose like, him. I just want to like ruin someone. Right. 
Um, and uh, nothing ever. Oh, oh, the whole reason why I brought this up was because I'm trying to get like more information out of him. And at the in the middle of it, he like starts talking about like all of this race play that he gets into. And we were both white, so I, I didn't expect that dynamic to <laughs> appear you're, out of You're nowhere. like, what do you want me to do? But I, I, it was just this kind of like insane moment of being like, of being like, oh my god, you are a cartoon of everything that we have been like told is not Trumpism right, right. now. Like the hypocrisy, the the race. It was just kind of wild, wild moment that I was not able to turn into anything. Unfortunately, that is a great story. But let me let me just continue with this oh, because it, yes, no, because there's Chris many Parker. details yes, 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 that we yes, haven't yes, learned yes, yet. Yes. So the next thing that happens is that that statement gets taken down, and someone writes. Last night, a statement was posted by someone who wanted to assure everyone Chris is okay and of his situation before it became public. However, Chris would prefer to speak on his situation when he is in a better place and in his own words. His focus is on his and his family's, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, well-being at this time. No apostrophe. So then, uh, that disappeared, and Chris made a video where he was basically like, I'm not in rehab. I'm fine. That was my friend tr doing what he thought was right while he took my phone away. He was trying to help me, but it's best if I just speak for myself. Everything's cool. You guys don't have to worry about me. Carry on. And it was like, what? Then uh, today, that's gone. And I, I, before I left the house, because this is a fluid thing. It keeps changing. Before I left the house, he was tweeting all this stuff about um, role-playing and how like, if a woman you know, has a rape fantasy and she and her boyfriend, you know, consensually enact like a fake rape. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're in a consensual situation with someone of another race and, and they're into race play and you're into race play, there's nothing wrong with that. Like basically if it's not your kink, then it's not your kink, but don't judge other people. It's clear to me that he's done some race play on camera with someone who was trying to use it to either extort him or just, you know, expose him and embarrass him. I don't know where the rehab comes into it. Uh, I think this is the messiest PR operation I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like they really didn't have a clear strategy here. No. And um, however you feel about race play, um, you know, it's obviously very, very problematic. I think that he's a mess right now, and I think that he probably should get off social media altogether for a little while and maybe go to rehab if there's a substance abuse issue. So there is a plot point that you're missing here, which was that Please. A, a few months ago, um, he broke up with his, or I don't know what the circumstances of the breakup were, but broke up with his longtime boyfriend. Um, and that is what precipitated this modern era of like cuckoo bananas hmm. videos that he does where he's like in his living room, like in a caftan, like drinking wine upside down and then like says like slay and then like that's the whole thing. I thought video. he had done that for years. No, it's a fairly new trend in his videos. He was he's had various eras of like kind of like meme comedy ones or like re reaction videos. There was the like straight porn phase and now he's into this whole new thing. He also has this like new boyfriend who is also in porn. I like to follow him uh, across different platforms. Um, but that to me was a recent turning point, a recent plot point mm -hmm. that um, really has kind of affected this downward spiral that I think you're kind of coming it, in on. It is a downward spiral, right? Yeah. No, it's not great. I, I actually sent him a instagram message about it one time drunkenly because i saw one of his videos and i kind of just felt a little empathy pang deep in my heart and i like knew he was sad that's true 
Yeah, well, we will have to see how this turns out. Um, I'm going to do one more quick story about the uh, Imagine Dragons guy, JB, and then uh, we're going to have our Pride update and invite Frank DeCaro over from the sofa where he has been patiently waiting. Um, so I just want to say this quickly. Um, the front man for Imagine Dragons, Dan Reynolds, we've talked about him before on the show. He's like the greatest straight ally to LGBTQ people. I don't I, Currently, there's no one who has who, who is more outspoken and has worked harder um, to stand up for us. He comes from a Mormon, a religious Mormon background. He's totally heterosexual, but he is frequently speaking out uh, on our behalf. And he won Top Rock Artist at the Billboard Music Awards. He had literally one minute to give a speech, and this is what he said. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. I just want to take this moment to say there are still 34 states that have no laws banning conversion therapy. 34. And on top of that, on top of that, 58% of our LGBTQ population live in those states. This can change, this can change, but it's gonna take all of us talking to our state legislation, pushing forward laws to protect our LGBTQ youth. And lastly, I just wanna say, conversion, we have seen with conversion therapy that our LGBTQ youth have double the rate of depression, triple the rate of suicide after conversion therapy. It's not working. needs to change. Thank you, guys. I mean, his entire I speech. Suck that man's dick. I want to suck like, his dick so bad. Yeah, like he, he needs every gay man to suck his dick because that is a real ally, right, sure. I mean, his entire speech and all these other idiots get up there and they're just like, I want to thank God. I want to thank my crew, and they just name random people that we don't. This guy actually used his one minute on a national award show with a huge audience to do something for a group that he's not even a part of. Yeah. That's integrity. Yeah. Also, I want to point out how idiotic the Billboard audience is. He says 34 states have gay conversion laws, still, still allow gay conversion, and they're like, <laughs> yes, gay conversion. Like, they don't even know what he's saying. They don't even know when to cheer. If you didn't know, it could sound like you were converting people to being gay. Yes, which let's be all cute. be gay. I mean, I've tried many times. Yeah, it doesn't work either. And I've I know JB has too. In locker rooms, yes. Let's do a quick LGBTQ Pride roundup with Ann Steele singing her song. Hit it, Ann Steele. This week, they are celebrating gay pride. Uh, we talked about this last week. It's a 10-day celebration. It's the 18th annual Mas Palomas Gay Pride in Gran Canaria, in the Canary Islands of Spain. Um, and closer to home, May 4th, it is Raleigh Pride down in Raleigh, North Carolina. We wish everyone celebrating Pride this week a happy, safe, healthy Pride. And we're still looking for a sponsor for this segment. Come on, Absolute Vodka. All right, and now it's time for our guest segment, and I am so excited for this. I've been waiting for months to have him back on the show. He's a man much beloved by our listeners, a comedian, author, and bald man who for 12 years had his own show on Sirius XM OutQ. He's just come out with the definitive book on drag queens entitled Drag, Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business. Please give a warm-ass welcome to Frank DeCaro. Hey! Frank! I'm so glad to be here. You look wonderful. Thank you, I'm, but I'm not... I'm not sucking Dan Reynolds' dick. I will send him an edible arrangement, and that's the most I'll do. But I'm very grateful for him. But Why I'm not. won't you suck his dick? No, it's too much work. You know me. I'm you're, sex negative. You know, I'm just, it's just too much work. I will suck not his dick Not only are you HIV you. negative, you're I'm also HIV sex negative. I'm negative. I'm sex negative. I'm, I'm just negative is really what it is. Not nice. really. No, I'm, you know I'm very positive. But I, I, a lot, stuff that's too much work, I can't do. And sex is too much work. It's just, you know, now 23 you, years with the same man. I love him to pieces, but 
you, you know, this, handle it. You, you guys know. have lesbian bed death going on? No, I, he gets it on his birthday and then Valentine's Day. That's enough. You know, <laughs> you can't give it away all the time. It's like February and September. He's got it. He can take care of it in between. So. Why buy the cow? It's true. Of course, he already bought. He bought a really big cow, and now he has a more skinny cow, cow, which we're glad. Hey, you look fantastic. How's how's the diet and and exercise program going? Constant struggle every day, but I'm doing all right. No, it's good. I uh, I had gained a little bit back, and I'm getting rid of it, which I'm happy. Which what is what normal people do. Well, you're on a book tour, and so I can I imagine that there's just junk food everywhere you go. Every green room has. Wouldn't you? But no, it's not quite as uh, much of that as you think. And also, I'm pretty good about avoiding most things in a green room except if there was if there's a big bowl of m&ms that's problematic but most everything else i'm yeah peanut m&ms in a bowl i shouldn't be and or oreos i shouldn't be left alone with yeah i'm okay with the sweet stuff i i want like the (gasps) chips and the crackers and that doesn't thrill me how is the book tour going oh it's fun well you know you have to put it together your own book tour but i have to say that said the enthusiasm for this drag book is huge and and i'm i'm really living for it and we're this was the really the test for me. We are doing signings at the two most difficult Barnes and Nobles in the country to get into. And and you never have that. It's like you have to be a major celebrity. And as I tell people, not a major celebrity in your own apartment. You right. know, because it's like, I, like I don't me. know about you, but that's the way I feel. I'm a no. major celebrity in my apartment. Other than that, not so much. But uh, so we, we're doing Union Square in New York Pride Week here amazing and we're doing union square or excuse me we're doing barnes and noble uh in the grove in la during pride week the first week of the month so it's june 4th and june 26th uh we're doing them on either coast and i just started it we did uh we were i was at the chicago humanities festival i was at theater in wicker park with three generations of drag queens uh, uh performing and we i did a reading and then we did signing and then they performed it was divine well i think there's two reasons why it, the book is getting such a response first of all i think it came out at the perfect time you've really Pays to be late ta- on your deadline by a year yes, doesn't it you've yeah. really you've tapped into drag mania which is really like at its heightened frenzy I know. I mean, all over the world everyone is so interested suddenly in this art form that the gays have known about forever but i think rupaul really brought it mainstream in a massive way over over the last 10 years. But also, the book is so good. Oh, thank you. It's really good. I, thank you. you. Frank sent me the galley, the digital galley, and I thought, you know, I knew it was going to be cute. Everything you do is, like, cute and kitschy. I didn't think it would be so definitive. As I was reading it, I kept thinking, he's going to leave out so-and-so. Like, he's going to leave out Charlie Brown from Atlanta, because why would he even know who Charlie... There she is. She has her own page. You know, Two-page spread, yeah. He, he's going to leave... Like, every time I thought of someone you might not have, they're in the book. How many How many queens are in this book? Oh, God, I don't even know. I mean, there's so many. I have to say, though, you, it does make... The only time I get mad if, is somebody posted... Where is so-and-so? And, like, what do you write back? Page 242 I wrote back. You know, it's like, don't – it's like, get it right. If you're going to complain right. that someone's not in it, make sure they're really not in it. It is so comprehensive, so. and it's also a beautiful book because you have these great uh, giant color photos of each of the queens yeah. that you're writing about. Rizzoli did a great job. And, and, the, and the photographers, many of them donated their work because they have – because there's no money for that. You know, you put these things together on a shoestring, and then when they look this beautiful, you sit there and go, well, that worked. And it's you not know. just like a magazine with lots of drag queens in it. It's really about the history of drag, and you trace it from its origins to the present day. And um, I have to first ask you, because I know how you love your puns. Yes. So what were the alternate titles if you hadn't used combing through the big wigs 
of show business. It was always that, except it was going to be called Big Wigs coming through the history of drag and show business. But Big Wigs was always going to be the, in there somewhere. Why'd you but change it? They did. They said it, They said because of search engines, everything's based. I hate to say it, Every book on drag. You know what every book on drag is called? Drag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you look it up, but drag. Every book is called drag. But no, I think they, they really are like, well, search engines will find it better if it's called drag colon coming through the big wigs of show business rather than big wigs and then drag is in the subtitle i was sure so, you had yeah. like 50 different puns that you had no you would out. think i would te- just teasing no i don't know what it would be but uh but yeah there are uh, uh there are i do love a good pun i can't help it but it's but it's it's a serious book even though it's light it is serious but you know me i did a radio show a couple of years ago and someone not my own and someone <laughs> Someone said to me, they were doing the lightning round at the end of the interview and this or this, you know, and they said, funny or smart. And I said, smart. And it brought it to the end of the discussion. They just looked at me like, really? And I was like, yeah, it's like smart. That's my favorite thing. Funny is good, but it comes. But it's like, well, you have to be smart to be funny. No, you don't. There are a lot of stupid people who are fun. But I like book smart, too. I have to tell you. You like nerds. I like a good if when my husband. My husband's best chances for getting laid are when he proofreads something and he goes, oh, wait, they just said it's off the coast of Spain. It's off the coast of Portugal. And then I just get a boner. You drop to your I, knees. Oh, my God. I want to service him right. That's my kind of I'm on. kind of the same. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, but I think this book, like for someone like Ryan Frostig, who's really a, a drag um, obsessionado, I think he he will love this book because it's just um, it's as I said, it's so comprehensive. I want to ask you about some of the people you included and my favorite section, um, because one of them has been on our show so many times and is a friend of mine. Was your section on the three Charleses of of drag? Who were the three Charleses? Charles Ludlam, Charles Pierce and Charles Bush. And I just always thought it was funny. It's like, why do you have to? If you're named Charles, you should be a drag queen. That's basically what we're learning. Prince yeah. Charles, kind of a drag queen. But uh, no, I, the three of them are really, I mean, they weren't just like drag performers. They were landmark drag performers. I actually I mean, wrote my, my thesis on Charles Ludlum um, in college. And it, it is, I was kind of, I, as soon as I opened the, the galleys for the book, the first thing I did was like control F and wanted to read the section on Ludlum. Did I do all right? Yeah. No, oh, it good. Was, Thank it was you. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. I, well, I, I read was, a lot of, see, I'd never seen him perform i'd seen everything charles bush has done and i'd seen charles pierce perform live and watched him uh, on lots of video yeah i read about the plays in the context of drag discourse and drag theory now when i was a young gay when i was sean's age i knew who pierce and bush were i didn't know ludlum i I didn't know much later in life yeah and part of it is he had a, a short career because he died way too young oh yeah the other two i mean charles bush thank god is still with us uh, in his 60s, and and Charles Pierce lived to be what 70. He was something? pretty good. Yeah, he he got had a good long life. And I have to say, the one one of the things that I learned in putting this book together, it's a hard life, and a lot of people die young, and not just oh they got AIDS and died. It's like it could be murder, it could be suicide, it could you know I mean Marsha P ended up in the in the river. It could be. AIDS got them. It could be a mysterious death like Dean and, Johnson. And that, unfortunately, you know. it's still the case. It's a tough if road. You're, to, if, if you're on the fringe. As a performer, or as a as a human being, or as a human being, you might not have health insurance. You might be with sketchy people. You homeless. might not have enough money. You might right. be homeless, and it breaks my heart because these people are so freaking talented. So, and but that was one of the things that I noticed because you'd be doing things and you'd be like, wait a minute, this one's thirty eight, this one's forty two, this one's right, you know, twenty nine, whatever. And it was, and I thought a lot of it would be AIDS related, but it was, you know, there was that period, yes, but it wasn't certainly wasn't everybody. So well, let's first talk about Charles Pierce and oh, I loved him. what his 
act was and what his legacy is. He, Charles Pierce uh, was my favorite. He was a female impersonator, and they, the, the best line about him was that basically he was like the performance equivalent of a Hirschfeld cartoon. Like he was a caricature, but he would do these things. But he would do his he would his his absolute brilliant most brilliant thing was he would do. Betty Davis talking to Tallulah Bankhead and he would just shift his wig and turn and do both sides of the conversation. And, and so he was genius. But if you watch his videos and thank heaven, there's a lot on YouTube. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a, a full length performance of his. Um, I, he calls it, he talks about like obscure, but, but I mean, they're, even for me, there were kind of obscure Betty Davis movies, but he calls this one character, um, a 12 o'clock girl in a 5 o'clock town. No, a 12 o'clock girl in a 9 o'clock town with 5 o'clock shadow waiting for... You know, and he does this... It's Everything is this wordplay, and he's hilarious. And um, But when he started, he couldn't no, dress he couldn't in dress, women's clothing. He had to, like, put a hat on and, and hold a cigarette holder. Or a cardigan. You know, yeah, there'd yeah. be the, just a suggestion of femininity, because otherwise... You could get arrested. Be arrested. Yeah, it's crazy. It's that, unbelievable. It and that was at the beginning of his career. By the end, he would be out in full drag. Yeah, he was I, playing at you know the, the the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion at the end you know things like that in L A and huge. I, I knew him as a as a younger person from the movie Torch Song trilogy where he plays uh, Harvey's best friend, and from um, he plays Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, yes. And also and Ken, and, and uh, Ken Page plays. Uh, um, Wait, what's her name? Marsha Dimes. Yes. Marsha Dimes. It's so funny. <laughs> and there's that fabulous episode of Designing Women when they go on a cruise and there's this steward on the ship who's Charles Pierce. He's this old queen who just keeps insulting them and like, you know, lobbing these sassy one-liners. And then Suzanne finds out that her wig has been stolen. And the next thing they know, he's performing in the wig. Exactly. <laughs> and, drag. you know, he's on Laverne and Shirley, too. He did the yes. two-part Murder on the Moose Jaw Express episode. He was the, the the lady who turned out to be the killer. And then Charles Ludlum was later. that He started in the 70s with the Ridiculous Theater Company. What yeah. was his... Theatrical. Im- I think it was Ridiculous Theatrical Company, I think was the name of it. But, yeah, no, he what was... was his, the his one impact? I saw was... was uh, the mystery of Irma Vep, which which has one of the greatest still plays. It's brilliant, and there and there's a, there is a reveal in it when they walk into a tomb and find out what it is. That is one of the funniest jokes I've ever seen on a stage. It, I died when they get to, and you you can't give it away because it's too good. But when you get to it, but no, he he would do these these mashups of high art and low art better than anybody. And it would there might a script might include something from Women's Wear Daily. Shakespeare and a T and a, a, you know a Maria Montez movie and something he saw on the television and it would all be put into the Cuisinart and come out this play at the and, end and that's the, the 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 delight I think of watching really good drag is it's almost like testing your pop culture intelligence it's how many references are you getting how many references are you catching and not the average audience member isn't going to get it but if you're in the know it is so amazing to see something like that to to realize all the thought and the creativity and the research that went into it well the question that i wanted to ask you was how did you come to a critical decision of what is drag because something that was so kind of revelatory for me in reading these biographies was oh this person studied at rada this person toured with shakespeare these kind of things that seemed outside of drag yet were obviously informing the performance that you were writing about so something like Charles Ludlum. I actually came to Charles Ludlum through Hedda Gobbler, the you know his performance of the straight Ibsen play. Um, and how did you decide what is drag and what was worth including in this? I looked 
I, I, it was daunting at first because you're like, well, what do I put in and what do I leave out? And, and it was scary. And someone said, do the people that you think are important or had a huge influence on your pop cultural life. And so that's what I ended up doing. And my take on drag is it's, it's as much cross-dressing as it is being a drag queen and kind of everywhere in between. And so yeah, because I, you also draw a line in, in parts between firm, female impersonation and drag and character acting. There were kind of all yeah, these I, terms thrown out uh, somewhat interchangeably, but also with important distinctions. Well, a lot of I think it's interesting. Someone like Lipsinka, who Lipsinka does performances that are as perfect a lip sync as anyone will ever do yes. anywhere. There is not a breath that is not off with when Lipsinka performs. Genius. Hates the term drag queen. Right. Wants to be called a surrealist. And Jim and, Bailey and thinks of Lipsinka as a character. Right. And and, yeah, and, Jim, and a living right. character, exactly. not not and his good. alter ego. And that's why she's so good. Right. And he's so good. But um I was gonna say, and then Jim Bailey, who we used to when I was a kid, Jim Bailey would appear on Here's Lucy with Lucille Ball or Vegas with Robert Urick as a female impersonator. He and that would be the whole storyline would be built around it. He didn't like female impersonator. He was a gender illusionist. Mm-hmm. That right. was his phraseology. But but it was so weird being a kid and you're like you're you know you're six years old and you're watching Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, yeah. like some of the most but well, some like it hot. easily recognized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. But they're that's the hetero drag thing. See, okay. that's a whole other thing. So that's fascinating to me too because it would be the hairiest, most manly, often ugliest John guy Travolta. in a dress, and then they would get hit on. No, John, I don't think John Travolta counts as hetero drag, but that's another story. Anyway, um, shade. True. Sorry. But, uh, I, you know, I do think that that uh, they there was that whole trope of where it's like, I mean, fish on Barney Miller was what passed for fishy in 1970 something. Okay. It's like the, he was on a mugging detail in the park dressed fish. in drag. And it's, it's like the most ridiculous a vagoda ever right? and he gets hit on the first time it should happen to all of us right yes. you know he it's that was always the trope is that they got a straight guy would always fall for the ugly guy in a dress and but but then but i think the stuff that was that was gay even though he said gender illusion and didn't really talk about sexuality um but you know he'd be on here's lucy dressed as phyllis diller he'd be on vegas dressed as judy garland um he did and this is the mind-blowing thing for me jim bailey god rest his soul did a primetime network Super Bowl preview slash tribute show dressed as Barbra Streisand from A Star is Born singing Don't Rain on My Parade in an open convertible on primetime network What year was that? 78 or 9. I mean, that is okay. mind-blowing. It's The it 70s were such an insane time because they just all the rules were thrown out the window. And gays were finally doing saying stuff, you know, or you yeah. think or, or, or program a straight. Well, maybe a straight guy did was, do that, but uh, I Frank, don't know. Who, who played Beverly LaSalle on All in the Family? Lori Shannon was the performer's name, and it turns out Lori Shannon, who was in that landmark role, they liked him so much that they brought him back for three episodes. Yeah, and Beverly got killed. Beverly got, got killed, and it and 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 instead so of it being, oh, they got what they deserve. Edith decided maybe this is so horrible. Maybe there is no God. Yeah, that's where, so to take it there. That's Norman Lear all over. He's the place, wonderful, you know. But but yeah, no, she was discovered at Finocchio's, which was this drag club that was hugely popular for sixty years, I think, in in North Beach in she's San in Francisco. Yeah, she's there. The oh, picture a, of her pulling her wig off. I swear to God, there isn't a queen you can think of that isn't in this book. Frank, you included Dame Edna. Yes, yeah. And I was wondering if you had any uh, uh, spilkus about that, given her recent anti-trans statements. That's addressed in the book too. I say that she's in 
she's open. She's she's in more hot water than the could fill the Tasman Sea. I said, but I didn't want it to be a negative thing because I think his art is so brilliant. But Jesus, stop talking. Well, <laughs> live on your on your <clears throat> laurels and stop Shut saying stupid shit. What it's it kind like, of creates though is the reality that there's this big discussion about whether or not drag perpetuates gender stereotypes or whether or not it deconstructs them. And I think that Dame Edna is so fascinating because she was this paradigm of drag but at the end of the day what Dame Edna's revealing her message kind of was is that like there is a specific thing that a woman's supposed to be and it's funny when you violate it when you're doing something that's wrong because it's a man in a dress or something like that like it, it was kind of the gag was on us that we were kind of supporting not the vision of drag that we thought we were Right. Well, she's kind of a horrible character, but she was kind of created to be a horrible character. Yeah. She, you know, so and and he is one of the most brilliant people I've ever ever interviewed in my life. I mean, I, he he is spectacularly I have to tell you, smart. I've, I've never quite gotten Dame Edna, you and either, part of it is yeah. I saw her very late in Dame Edna's. I mean, you know, I didn't see the young Dame Edna. I saw one that was rather doddering, and I just thought, I don't that, this this isn't really. I, don't funny. Know, I saw that farewell tour, and it was as funny as anything really? I've ever seen. But, uh, but I'm a I'm a huge huge fan. But but there is that moment where. You take the remote control away from grandpa or you take the exactly. nuclear button away from Donald Trump. You just go like, no, you can't. You're too crazy to have this. Frank, but it ha- broke my heart. I have an idea for your yes. next book, by the way. I think it should be a comprehensive book on porn uh, entitled Porn Thumbing Through the Big Dicks of Blow Business. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I think you're more qualified to do that. You How know, dare you? you do, what no, are you saying? No, just that you're more you're sex positive. I'm old and crabby at this point. I'm, I'll come back. Not only I am hope, I sex but, positive, I'm HIV positive. I know, I and you came air- out of No, but that's a and that's a big thing that you came out about. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm not good at keeping secrets. You and me. That's why I have a podcast. Frank, uh, in the time remaining, it is time to play everyone's favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. Music by Adam Sank. Uh, who is the best drag performer of all time? The Of all time? Yes. Charles Pierce. Very good. Yeah, I think that would be my choice because... I watch the videos now and it makes me laugh harder than, than almost anything. Um, yeah, he's, he's about as good as it gets. And, and I, cause it's, it's old school and yet it's timeless. And, and I, it kills me. And, and you know, when you can do Marilyn Monroe and your line is as Marilyn Monroe, I was eight before I was seven. <laughs> That's just dirty. You know, and she, he would do Mae West. And he said, he said, I was walking through, I was walking through a pasture and a, um, and a bull, tried to chase me i was tired so i ran okay that is so means otherwise i'd have done him okay right, right. <laughs> i was tired so i ran i just love that I, I do love that style of drag it's yeah. it's sort of classic drag what charles pierce did uh number two f mary kill this is a drag queen oh my edition. goodness you have to f one marry one and uh, kill one head of lettuce yes bianca del rio rupaul i'd marry rupaul because ru has the most money there Wait, you go man, Although Bianca uh, is probably quite set at this point. I mean, I'd marry Rue. I'd do Bianca. Bianca's adorable. Yes. But I, have to, I don't really want to kill Hedda. I like I do. Oh, you do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you can have my spot. Okay, you can, you can do. There is, right? I don't want to kill her either, but you, but you could, um, I could put Silky Ganache in a box for a while and that would be okay. I mean, I would just, you know, just with a ball <laughs> gag, that would be fine. Exactly. A, a, like a hard sucker ball. There's something with flavor so she'd enjoy herself, but yeah. I should know the answer to this, Frank, but what is your drag name? Uh, Fatty Lapone. <laughs> P-H-A. P-H-A. No, and, and Bobby Moynihan said that that was his drag name on Drag Race. And it was like, 
hey, I posted it immediately with a photo. I was like, me first. So okay. you, do you have yourself, are you in the Evita drag when you're No, I looked like, uh, I did her as, uh, as Sweeney Todd. So I wore this like uh, <laughs> lab coat that was covered in blood and the wig askew and the too dark eye makeup. It was very fun. And fishnets and stuff. It was very fun. But I'm not, you know, and I was at my heaviest too. So you really do want to see a 300 pound version of that. That's I, a fun I thing. do. I happen to think big, bigger guys look well, better in drag than, well, than skinny guys. A drag queen said to me, you have two choices as a drag queen. Really fat, really skinny. Yeah. I said in between, you're screwed. And exactly. Like, yep, it's true. Uh, but you know the game where you, you take your, uh, your first pet and uh, your mother's maiden name and put them yes. together, and that's your drag name. So mine is Trixie Lipton. R- Trixie Lipton? Mm-hmm. Mine is Bucky Laragina. Bucky the Queen. That's good. Bucky Laragina. Martina McChicken. McChicken is the street you grew up on? I'm sorry. Oh, I was honestly. Oh, sorry. Oh, you sorry. said ma- no, no. Ma- maid name. I got it wrong. Well, your mother's name. name was McChicken. No, my. No. I tuned out for a second. I'm sorry. What I happened? just like that name. The first, that your, your first, first drag name. Your first pet, Cosmo, and the your mother's Cala. maiden name. Oh, Basili. Cosmo, Cosmo Basili. That's my father-in-law. Name. What do you? <laughs> Yo, Cosmo. Um, how meaty is your tuck? I think it's self tucks at this point. <laughs> I mean, you are Italian, Frank. You must have a nice-looking penis. I've it's never a, seen an Italian guy with a bad well. penis. Let's just say my size twelve feet lie. Okay, oh. it's and you know my what? size it's eight fine. and a half feet do not. Good for, good, for, good for you. You no. always complain about having uh, my feet are small, my hands are small, my dick is medium sized at best. But you, but you always downplay your schwanz, so I'm sure it's good. I, exactly, I, I do think it's good. You should be, you should say like, oh, it's horrible, and then if they find it, they can have. The, a people good usually go, oh my god, that's not so small, and I'm like. <laughs> Um, I, I was with someone once, and I just looked at him. I said, "I am a scale model for you." It really was deranged. It was like what do you I, mean? he was huge. It was ridiculous. It was just it looked <laughs> oh, you're like scale model. I said, "I'm a scale model." It's like what you're is, the sample. Foot. Yeah. Um, did William Barr lie to Congress? Of course. <laughs> Roseanne Barr lied. Everyone named Barr. Simon Barr sinister lies to Congress. Everyone does. William that. Barr and Roseanne Barr. Yes. They're my least favorite couple. Yeah. Uh, choose between these divas. You can only pick one oh, as your favorite. Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Diana, Donna, Dolly, or Cher? Cher. Wow. Of all of them. It was going to be Bet, but it's Cher now. Yeah, Cher is, I pray to Cher. I think Cher is the greatest person ever. Sean? Um, from that list, uh, Barbara. I think I go with Barbara too, even though I kind of hate her. Uh, oh. as a as a human being, like I, well, she's a pain in the ass. I think yes, she would be a terrible so, but person. But if she were just, a man, she'd just be dis- nah, discerning. I it's disagree. True. I think she's a pain in the ass. I but I think she's spectacularly talented, yes. and uh, there's no voice I'd rather listen to than Barbara Streisand. Uh, Frank, give us your best Carol Channing impression. Oh, Adam, it's so great to be here. I'm so happy to be with you. You know, I was on Frank T. Carroll's show on Sirius, and he said to me that someone might ask me to sign their boobs. And I said, Frank, I'm scared. I don't want to go to my signing. So that, and that did happen. It's actually. a little bit like Carol Channing meets Harvey Firestein. <laughs> Is that so bad? I don't know. I, Is that I so wrong? Oh, God, I love that man, too. Uh, you what, know what he called me back? At my absolute highest weight, we were, I was, went to see him after La Caja Fall when he mm-hmm. replaced, mm-hmm. Uh, went on in the lead. And I hear from across the stage, to Carol, you fat fuck. And it was just like, <laughs> Harvey called me a fat fuck. This is the best day ever. I, I don't want that from anyone else, but from Harvey, it's kind of I sweet. love him. Uh, what's been the most exciting night of your life so far? Ever? Yes. Getting married to Jim Colucci, Aww. author of the Golden Girls Forever book. Plug, plug. And the night my first book came out, 
at the Barnes and Noble in Chelsea. A boy called I Phyllis. I still sniff around. A boy named Phyllis. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't know if people would be there. And I was a little bit late, as I want to be, although I was very early this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I walked in, and it was packed. And I got a round of applause, and that was the greatest night of my life, professionally. Those are Personally, both, it's been getting married, and professionally, it's... Uh, those are both lovely stories. I'm, I'm still waiting for mine to happen. Frank, your book is called Drag, Combing Through the Big Wigs of Show Business. Uh, how do people follow you on the interwebs? At Frank DeCaro Show. And buy the book on, on Amazon. Support those LGBTQ And come out to your book signings. Uh, you mentioned earlier in New yeah, York, a, L.A. June 4th uh, in L.A. at the Barnes & Noble at the Grove. And, uh, and then at the end of the month uh, in Union Square, June 26th. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for I having love me you. On. Come again the next time you're here. Sean, how do people follow you online? Uh, at, at Instagram, uh, 50 Picks of Drowen Gay. Um, or on Facebook, Sean Peter Drowen. D-R-O-H-A-N. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Frank. Sean, you're going to be back with us the week after next. Next week I'll be back with a brand new episode featuring co-host Chris Harder and lesbian comedian Jess Solomon. Subscribe to this podcast at dnrstudios.com. Don't forget to download my comedy album. Follow me me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Sank. Have a great week bitches.